Father, we thank you for Paul. God, we thank you for his dedication to you. God, we thank you just how you minister to him and the, the intimacy that, that you and him have together and just the things that you birth inside of him, Father, all the fruit that he's born throughout the years. Thank you that that fruit just, just grows and grows and grows. And, Father, we pray that you'd inspire him, give him liberty tonight. We honor him and bless him now as he releases your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening. I love coming to Communitas. I do. It, it's it, seven steps, and I'm, I'm here. But uh, I don't tire of it. I, I love young adults. I'll t- somebody asked me why, why you like young adults. As a pastor, I find myself sometimes laying out challenges to older people, and unfortunately, they would sit there and mildew. Because they weren't in a position where they were able to respond to a life situation. You go after young adults, you set out a challenge. And there's a reason why young adults have been used to spawn most of the major missionary movements that have happened since the 14th, 15th century. They come together, they pray, there's a vision in them. There's passion, there's zeal, there's optimism. So that's why I like being here. And before I start the message, we can wait uh, before uh, getting the message, Eric. Just share a word about Karen. Karen is my beloved. She's my wife. She's not, she didn't come down, didn't commute here tonight. She's still upstairs. Two weeks ago, Tuesday, she had surgery. And corrective surgery turned into reconstructive surgery. More happened than what they expected took longer to get back and heal. She came home, then she had to go back a second time to have some other work done. Now she's home and very happy to be home and mending. She, uh, you know, when difficult things happen to God's people, God lets us turn them into something for good, right? We get thrown for a game. And God uses it in a wonderful way. And he used her situation. She got to pray with people. I got to pray with people. We prayed with somebody who had uh, a rare disease. And they said they'd probably be having to stay for uh, another surgery, take out the kidney. They waited all, all weekend for the report. She said, I don't know if I can take another surgery like that. And Karen and I were able to pray with them on Monday they got the report here's what specifically here's what the doctor said we are surprised the evidence is inconclusive you can go home as far as I'm concerned the evidence was conclusive (laughs) so we're very thankful and and, uh, so God uses these things painful things in our lives Help us move along. So I want to ask you to do something now. This is, again, before we start the message. I'm going to ask you if, as you look back on your parents' grandparents and see the impact they had on you, was it mainly positive? Was it mainly neutral? 
or would you say it was negative? The reality is that they impacted us, didn't they? And for some, it, it really propelled us. Others, it really wounded us. So turn to somebody next to you and say, here is kind of how my parentage, parents, grandparents, those before me, how they impacted me. Find somebody close that you feel you can share that with and just take a moment just to say, here's, here's how I was impacted. Well, maybe it's both positive and negative. Maybe it's neutral. Maybe it's all positive. Go ahead. Okay, another 20 seconds. All righty. Raise your hand if the influence would you say would be primarily positive. Uh, neutral, some positive, some negative, mainly negative. Okay. What about if people look back on your generation, not on you? What are they going to say? What is the legacy? Pardon? Positive. That's a good response. Ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? What I'm talking about tonight is generational thinking. We normally don't think generation. We think nuclear. God bless me, my wife, my son, his wife, us four, no more. <laughs> it's a package. We think nuclear. We don't think generational. We tend not to. We just think in terms of our family. If you start thinking generationally, then you have the chance to impact to the fourth generation and beyond. Ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? An American educator in the early 20th century took a look at his legacy. He married Sarah. They had 11 children. And when he began to look at the legacy, what I wondered is if Jonathan Edwards had more impact on the founding fathers than George Washington. Listen to his legacy and tell me what you think. 
Godly legacy includes one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries from one couple. Yeah, that's a legacy. And what I want to challenge you with is what I'm challenging my own children with. I'm telling my kids, I'm praying for your grandchildren who don't yet exist. Because I want to have a legacy. And I want you to be a part of it. I want you to raise up your legacy by raising up godly children. I want you to go past me. Now, I'm saying that I'm not expecting them to start a seminary or do something that I've done. I expect them to go better. Not starting something, but go farther in Jesus than I have gone. And then I want them to push their kids to go farther than they have gone. And then I want them to push their kids to go farther. That's the, the fourth generation. What are you going to have? You're going to have mighty kids who are stopping cancer colds. You're going to have people who are doing things that we are learning to do, but are, are a little slow to walk into. But because they're raised in an atmosphere of faith, times faith, times faith, do the math. And what are you going to expect from those? Now, we have an end time outlook that can squelch that. Jesus is coming back. Why, why, why worry about the next generation? Let me say something to you. Every generation from Paul on has said they're the last generation. I think it's good to think he's coming real soon. But it's also good to plan like you have a lifetime. So that's the way we're thinking tonight. We're going to think generationally. We're going to think far out. I'm going to leave a legacy. How do we do it? We get married, we have kids, and we think generationally. Now, even to say get married, I know that's especially for the gals, they're saying, yeah, yeah. We pray for that because that's God's will. And I think sooner is better than later, frankly. And so Karen and I pray that God will bring couples together, unite couples together, give them the gift of children, and then raise them up to be mighty in the land. Do I have any biblical reason for believing that that could happen in my family or in any family? Listen to this. Psalm 112, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. What's mighty to the fourth power? If my children are mighty, because I've honored the Lord. What's going to happen when they honor the Lord and their children are mighty? You, you, you keep, uh, you, you keep pro propelling. You accelerate. In the Bible, we have physical children and spiritual children. Here is Moses passing off the baton to whom? Moses didn't go into the land. Joshua took it into the land. He accelerated. And who did Joshua pass the baton to? Right, he didn't. Read the book of Judges and find out what happened because the baton got dropped. Here's Elijah, he's discouraged. He's feeling suicidal. He feels like he's the only one left. He was only off by 6,999. God told him we have 7,000 of us. <laughs> 
And so he told him to raise up a mentor and turn the ministry over to him. Who was that? Elisha. So when he's whisked off into heaven in this celestial trip, he throws his mantle down, and Elisha says, my father, my father. See that relationship? He drops the mantle. Elisha picks it up, spats it on the water. The wa he says, where is the God of Elijah? And the waters part. Elisha does twice as many miracles as Elijah did. You pass the baton successfully, and your children, physical, spiritual, are going to accelerate just like that. So who did Elisha pass it on to? <laughs> Didn't happen. You don't have an acceleration when you drop the baton. Anybody remember the U.S. Olympics in 2012? The men's 4 by 100, they're expected not to win. They're expected to smash the world record. What'd they do? They didn't even finish the race. So here come the women, four by 100. They dropped the baton. They didn't finish the race. It's disastrous when you drop a baton in a race. Is it more disastrous when you drop it in the family? Some of you had the baton dropped, and you had to pick it up. That's tough. That's hard. We're going to pray for you at the end. That's very difficult. When someone, rather than living, seeing the legacy out here, and living in a way that builds a legacy, look for pleasure instead, and the baton got dropped. That's very sad. We don't want to do that. Now, could you expect it to accelerate when the Son of Man is passing the baton? How could it accelerate then? Jesus said something about greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. He passed the baton, and they turned their world on its head. If you are married, have kids, pass the baton successfully so that they share your faith. It's going to accelerate with each generation, and we're going to find strength. We're going to impact the culture. Jonathan Edwards impacted the culture. Someone else impacted the culture, Max Jukes. His descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of debauchery, 130 other convicts, 310 paupers, 400 who were physically wrecked by indulgent living. Way to go, Max. Not much of a legacy. Think about your legacy tonight. Think about what you're going to pass on to the next generation. When I look at some scriptures with you, Eric, did you get those? Okay, let's read it together. This is just to give you an idea of how to think generationally. Read it with me. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he, We don't think about those people yet unborn. That's not how we operate. But they're thinking about the people down the line. Keep going. Next verse. Let's read it together. For even when I'm old, I think they're talking about me. Do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation. Your mighty 
I have a responsibility. Grandparents have a responsibility. Declare the power of God to the next generation. I'm telling grandparents, you tell the stories. Tell them what it was like in World War II. Tell them, tell them what, if you lived through the Great Depression, tell them. Tell them how God provided for you. Share stories of faith. I'm sharing stories now with Judah and Eden and Laurie and Abba. I want them to live, to have faith stronger than what I have. So when I'm old and gray, I still got a job to do. I'm not going to retire. I'm going to tell the stories. I'm going to connect those generations. I'm going to pass the baton now. Keep going. Which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. That's four generations there. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Okay. Next one. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. They're thinking down the line. If, you're, if you think this way and you find yourself wondering where you're going to step over the line, it puts a restraint on your life, doesn't it? It, it inculcates a godly purity because it's not about you. It's about four generations. It's about righteousness. Now, you may say, I look back and I don't see it. A relative of mine said that to me many years ago. He said, Paul, I don't have the line that you've got. I said, okay, patriarch David, you started. And he has risen up. He's married. He's got four children, just gave his daughter away in marriage last summer. And he is raising up a line of righteousness. And the, the, those that succeed him now, we're going to look back and see David. David walked in righteousness. And because of it, we're inclined that way. And we have that gift of righteousness by virtue of walking in this line. Okay, next one. This is an interesting one. Hey, we don't think this way if you don't do this. But if you want to curse somebody, you may curse them or you may go after their daddy. Your daddy is so stupid or your mommy is so ugly. No. Look at this. They go to the generations that followed. They cut off their descendants. Because if you don't have descendants, you ain't got nothing. You don't have a future. May his descendants be cut off. Their names be blotted out from the next generation. Have we ever thought about doing that? No. Because we don't think generational. But you're going to start to think generationally. I, I didn't do this all my life. In my later years, I've started to think generationally, the impact of my life. I'm going to leave a legacy that's far beyond my life, far beyond my children's life, exponential obedience. It'll multiply. One more. Or two more. One generation will compend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. So we just keep passing this good story along of God's goodness, of God's grace. How many of you didn't get that passed along to you? How many, how, how many were left without the message and you had to find it yourself because it wasn't passed along to you? It's sad, isn't it sad? Okay. So the prophets also made sure the faithful were mindful of the generation. Here, read it with me. Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children 
and their children to the next generation. How many generations do you have there? Four generations in one sentence. We want to live and think generationally. So I want to share just a few uh, truths about generational thinking, and then we're going to pray together. First thing about generational thinking is that history and destiny merge when you think generationally. You're looking back and you're looking ahead. So God is, what? who is he? He is the God of Abraham. Oh my, there are three generations right there. He's a God who, who works in history. He connects with people. Never mind the liberals who say it doesn't matter about history. It matters what you feel in your heart. Rubbish. God acted in history. He knows people. He connected with that man, Abraham. He connected with Isaac and Jacob. He connected with my grandfather. He connected with my father. He's connected with me. He's going to connect with my children by God. Names. What's my last name? Anderson. The name itself connects to a previous generation. What I'm the son of Anders. Olson. Son of Ole. Ben Adam. Son of Adam. So it's connecting the generation. The festivals were given to connect generations. They would go to Jerusalem and celebrate a festival, looking back and remembering. Because God was telling them, you celebrate this for the next thousand years. It was connecting them to their past and their future. We have a celebration. It's called the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. I shall not drink it until I drink it anew with you in my Father's house. We look back and we look forward. So we have history. We have destiny. And they come together as we think generationally, not myopically, not just me and my family, but my heritage and my <coughs> descendants. Second thing, <clears throat> it's all about family. God, God's a father. He has a son. There's only one way you got on the planet, you, a father and a mother. And Jesus came the same way. He, he didn't have a father. He had a, he had a father, but uh, the seed was implanted by the Holy Spirit, and Mary carried that for nine months, and then he was born. Third, obedience is essential and disobedience cost. A man named Jehu Got your Bibles to open up to Second Kings. <clears throat> Chapter ten. Second Kings, Chapter ten, verse twenty six. They brought the sacred stone out of the temple of Baal and burned it. They demolished the sacred stone of Baal. Whoops, where? 
Oh, here it is, verse 30. The Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all the throne of Israel, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So his obedience impacted four generations. Your obedience to the Lord can affect children to the fourth generation. On the other hand, Word about Hezekiah, Second Kings 20. Turn over to the right. So Hezekiah was a pretty good king, but in his latter years, he opened up his treasury and showed it to the envoys from Babylon. It was a foolish thing. And Isaiah judged him through the Lord and said, your descendants will be disciplined. Listen to what he says. Why? That's exactly what he said. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Will not there be peace in my life? He wasn't thinking about his kids. He wasn't thinking about his grandchildren. He's only thinking about himself. This was not generational thinking. It did affect his generation, and he wasn't very concerned about it. Fourth thing is that honor connects the generations. If, if Phil Ludio, who's 90 years old, were to walk in here tonight, and look for a seat and sit down, what would you do? Pardon? What if you found one there? I'll tell you what the Bible tells you to do. Here's how easy it is for us to neglect the word of God. I'll tell you, what would George Washington have done as a boy if that man had come in? He would have stood. You know he would have stood. None of us stand because we're missing out what the word of God says. Listen to this. Rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. Now, who is this Lord? He's very, very, very old. He's the ancient of days. If you want to respect God, respect the elderly, and you are respecting God. Our culture respects youth. We respect beauty, brains, brawn, bodies. We don't respect elderly. We don't expect the old. In fact, we, we want to, if our hair gets gray, we, we want to color it. I said a really stupid thing when I was talking about this once. I said, yeah, we, we get out Preparation H and we put it, put, uh, put it on it and wrong. <laughs> if you want to respect God, respect age. And when Karen read my notes, she said, Paul, we're not doing this. I said, you're right. So I want to teach my children, to teach their grandchildren that when someone 
older comes in right here. Stand. Because that's what the Word of God says. Nothing changed except we changed our outlook from age. It was a sad day in Israel, Lamentations 5.12, when elders are shown no respect and the elders are gone from the city gate. And one of the curses for disobedience, listen to this curse, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. So God wants us to honor the elderly because then it connects the generations. It gives them place and lets them know they're important to us, that we want to hear their stories rather than pushing them off to their own little world. We invite them into our world by saying, you are important. You're the elder. In fact, the words shake or elder or presbys or um, senatus, senator, all those mean old man. So these are cultures that honored age. And we need to come against a culture that gives you a merit badge if you're young. Long way. Last thing. If you were the enemy of our soul, what would you come against to stop what's going on here? The generations. Go after the womb. You'd keep babies from being born, maybe by abortion or miscarriage or sterility, or just tell people they don't want kids. Or if they had kids, you'll instigate some kind of murderous threat from a pharaoh or from a Herod to kill them. Or if you can't do that, you'll separate children from parents so they hate each other and they don't want to be together. The womb is a sacred place and it's under attack in our society. We want to pray for the womb. We want to pray for God's blessing on the womb. For God to give children to families that are asking for children. So we pray a lot for those that want children. God, give them children. Open the womb. As I've told you before, I believe in birth control. I believe that God controls the birth, so we can trust him. We can trust a God who, who knows us, who knows what we can handle, who knows how many kids we should have. And so we want to bless the womb of women. I don't know what it means, but I love the verse. <coughs> women shall be saved through childbearing. I don't know all that that means. But it's a great verse. And it, it's, there's something really, really important there. Something redemptive about childbearing that we want to honor and that we want to protect. So my prayer tonight is that you'll be thinking long term about the legacy that you're going to leave that God would bless you 
most here are single. God would bless you with a spouse who would love and honor him and love and honor you. That God would bless you with children. God would bless the womb. God would protect the womb. God would give you children and that you'd have grace to raise them, to love and honor God. And you'd be establishing a legacy and that grandchildren down the line would look back at you and say, thank you for Dan. Thank you for Steve. Thank you for those who went before me and made the way so that I could go. So I want to pray for that. I also want to pray for those who who were past something other than what's righteous. I'm going to ask you to come up in a minute and pray. Generational curses that were put on us. We want to come against those. So we're going to just dim the lights here and have a... not emotionally strong enough to receive me. And I was not wanted as a child. Okay? I'm not the only person. But I'll tell you, that really affects her identity. You know what? She wasn't wanted by her mom either. So, see generational brokenness going down from generation to generation. But as we bring those things to the Lord, He's able to go deep, 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 deep inside of us. Let's do it now. Raise your hand if you identify with some aspect of that. We're going to pray that over you. It may be one prayer. It may be a, a whole series of prayers. I've prayed a lot for people with father wounds who, who had somebody they had a right to, to receive love from, and that was negated by distance or, or lack of interest, and it creates a wound heart. It just doesn't go away with time. So we pray for that. Bob, will pray for you. Raise your hand if you want us to pray for those issues related to uh, move around now. You see a hand go up. Put your hand on somebody close to you. Pray against the effects of uh, parents who, who didn't get what they needed, couldn't pass it on to their kids. I'm feeling the, the presence of God coming on me now. There's anointing, so I'm just going to listen to the Holy Spirit and pray. The power of life and death is in the tongue. We can have people, even our parents, who release things over us that literally become a curse. So, in Jesus' name, Father, we bless our parents. We bless our broken parents who maybe weren't emotionally whole enough to receive us. Maybe they were even afraid, Father, to be a mom or a dad. They just, they didn't have enough love in their own heart tank to receive us with joy. But the Bible says that that we are a gift. Children are a gift to their parents. God, we forgive our our moms and dads who, who didn't see us as a gift, who didn't treat us as a gift. Lord, and if there are any curses 
put over us. Like, I don't want you. I wish they they would die. I want to have an abortion. I don't want to be a dad. I don't want to be a mom. Any of those curses, Lord, that were released into our hearts, released into our lives. We forgive our parents for those curses. The rejection that you're not wanted. I don't want to have a relationship with you. You're a burden. And I, I get like images of even nonverbal communication where you're little and you look up at mom or you look up at dad and it's just like their heart is not open for you, to you. And and there's just so much pain because you don't feel loved, you don't feel wanted. So we forgive our parents, God, who who didn't want us, who didn't love us. And we just renounce the lie that we're not wanted. And even some people here are, are just being alive, there's shame. Because I was born, I was unwanted, and I feel like a burden to my family. Um, Father, we just renounce the lie we're a burden, and we just give that shame to you. Any of that shame of just existing, being born. We renounce the lie that it's our fault, that things went wrong in our family, that, that our parents were mean to us. It wasn't our fault. We just command that shame to break and that rejection to break. Father, and even fear of intimacy, fear of, of um, intimacy with a boyfriend, girlfriend, I'm just going to be rejected again. Nobody wants me. God, we just lay those lies at your feet. Pray that you'd break that fear. Father, those who don't feel like they truly fit in anywhere, in any family, um, we pray for breakthrough. Father, you break the walls, break the chains. With your love, you've adopted us. You've adopted us. You call us son. You call us daughter. And you smile over us, God. And even when we make mistakes, you love us. And you look at us with such tenderness, with such care. And you say to us, we don't have to be afraid. Because you're always going to be there for us. You're not going to close your heart to us. You're not going to reject us. God, let your tender embrace go deep, especially into those tonight who don't feel safe, who don't feel connected. Father, bring liberty in a very deep way tonight. In Jesus' name. Jesus, you were the rejected one. You know what it feels like to be rejected. Lord, some here have been rejected physically or emotionally, spiritually. They're made to feel like they weren't of worth, weren't of value. Jesus, you know what it's like. Thank you that you take them. Thank you that you are near to them, that you come, you draw close to them, you care for them. Give them the the freedom to let that go and to forgive those did not treat them the way that they should have been treated. And give them hope in you, Lord Jesus. Ask the girls just to put your hand on your stomach. Down lower. As I bless, bless the where life will be nurtured. And we bless that, the 
that that womb is a safe one, that that womb is protected, and that the enemy who is the opponent of life and of the womb and of children and of birth, that he will be defeated. He won't allow to take children, either in the womb or out of the womb. We bless the women here, most of whom will become mothers. We bless them as mothers with the great joy, the sacred joy of bearing children. Give them joy in looking forward to that, oh God. Give them much joy in what is before them. Pray that you would lift any fear that any may have because of the difficulties, because of the pain in childbirth. That you would release, alleviate the pain and give hope. To these gals being mothers and having children. Protect them. We are sad that in our society the womb is not a safe place for children. But may it be a safe place in their bodies. Yes. 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 
have only one new person here. So in addition to that new person, if there are those who uh, want personal prayer, why don't you go with the newbie meeting into the living room and you could pray for that. Bob said he felt that, that in this season there is an acceleration of, of God doing things. I have felt that. I don't always feel that, but I have felt that since December, a strong acceleration. And we're getting really, we're on the brink. We're on the brink of something so much bigger than ourselves. It excites me every day I'm thinking about it. Every day. I feel that, that something is upon us. It's imminent. And so I'm praying much for that. I haven't, I've never done that before like this. Never. So I, I feel exactly the same way, that there's something really, really powerful, as well as really dangerous. It'll go both ways. It'll separate people. There'll be people that will be horrendously opposed to it. And then there'll be people who'll be captured and convicted of their sin, brought to Jesus. The body of Christ will be strengthened. Many will be filled with the Spirit. will walk in the power of the gifts of the Anybody else feeling that? I've been, I've been calling pastors and saying, I want to pray with you. And I'm listening to see if they're hearing that. So far, there have been a couple of them that said, yeah, I'm hearing the same thing. I'm hearing something is real close within, it, within months. So, Bob, you're going to go in the living room. If any of you want prayer, more personal prayer, join them there. Or you could just pray. Uh, let's, let's make this a prayer time now. Pray for one another. Pray for the desires that are on your heart. Just spin around. Find somebody near near you. Go ahead. Right now. Just spin around. Make it a make it a time of prayer. Or if you want to go up in the living room, you could have uh, that prayer with Bob. And-